0: So did you guys know that it wasn't until the 13th century that the first pair of prescription eyeglasses were invented? 13th century. Like, what did people do before they had access to glasses? I mean, a better question is, how did you know you needed glasses? Like, you wouldn't use somebody else's glasses or eyes to compare it, so how did they know they needed glasses? Well, that didn't really matter to me when I was a kid, because as a kid, I just thought it was funny whenever I seen somebody wearing some glasses, and the person I took this out on the most was my dad. I'm like, dad, daddy, daddy, look, them glasses, them is thick. Like You got four eyes. You could probably see through the future with them, man, Them was crazy. Now my dad, being gracious as he was, he did not join on me back or give me a hard time. He said, son, your time is coming. I never knew his confidence. I don't know why he was so confident. Fast forward to my first full-time job as an adult, sitting in a meeting and I'm looking at the projector screen and I'm like, "Is it me or, or does I you need to upgrade the equipment?" <laughs> like, it's, like it ain't looking too right, and I'm blinking in the. Meeting. I'm like, maybe I need to get my eyes checked. Now, as my father said, my time has came. <laughs> Amen. I can officially see y'all in the front row. How y'all doing? <laughs> Um, but why do I bring this up? Church, what if we as Christians see the blessings of God like someone sees the world without their glasses on? I mean, we see it, but we don't see it as clearly as we ought to or as we should. How do you see the blessings of the shepherd? Or more specifically, how do we see the blessings for us in Psalm 23 verses 5 and 6? So in order to see the blessing in these final verses of our psalm, we'll look at three points that capture the heart of this text. First, the blessing is about Jesus. Second, the blessing is for you. And third, and finally, the blessing is bigger than you. Let's read the text one more time. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, Overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. First point, the blessing is about Jesus. Church, let me start by saying I love y'all. I love y'all. We have some amazing people that God has put in fellowship with us. Some of the dopest pastors you ever meet, some of the most servant deacon and deaconses, and the small group leaders, they kill it. But it ain't about you it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Most of us approach our faith and the Bible as if it centers around us. One of the reasons we don't understand just how blessed we are in Christ is because we've created a world where blessings are contingent on us and our happiness. So much so that even when we read the Bible, we approach it as if it's it's all about us. Now, most of us don't do this consciously, but we'll naturally pick up the Bible and say, how is this going to bless me in my life, or how is it going to apply to my situation? How do I know this? I'm not a prophet. I'm not the wisest man in the world. But me being seminary trained, learning the hermeneutical principles about how to study the Bible, and yet at the same time, when I open up the Scriptures for my devotions, I have to remind myself, Jeff, it ain't about you. I'm reading the genealogies in Matthew. I'm like, why well, I got to read this? It's not about me. Church, it's about Jesus. Psalm 23 in all the scriptures is pointing to Christ. Even in the Old Testament, when it doesn't seem as clear, it's still pointing to Jesus. Why do I say this? Because that's what Jesus said. John 5, 39 through 46, Luke 24, 25 to 45, Jesus basically says, if you search the scriptures, the law, the prophet, the Psalms, you will not understand them unless you understand they're pointing to me. This is what Jesus says. Now, why does this matter so much? Well, of course, since Jesus says it, it matters, because the Bible says it, it matters, but there's another problem as well. If we do not read the Bible in this way, we can actually come up with a dangerous interpretation of the text. This year, we did College Park at the zoo. Did anybody go to the zoo with the church as we went? Okay, we got a couple people here. Praise God, it was a great time. Now, Lord forbid, one of our college parkers at the zoo said, Hey guys, I was reading the Bible this week. I was reading the story of Daniel and the lion's den. I believe God. I trust God. He got us. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk here and just go talk to these lions. (laughs) We'd be like, This is not a great idea. But let me give you a more serious and more practical example that we see often. What about the story of David and Goliath? How many times have you heard people, even yourself, read the story of David and Goliath and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, okay. All I need is my rock of faith. All I need is my prayer, and I'm gonna defeat my enemies. I'm gonna defeat my giants." Beloved, the story of David and Goliath—it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the one who defeats our enemies for us. It's not about you. Psalm 23 is a blessing to us if we actually understand that it's centered around Jesus and not us. Therefore, how are verses 5 and 6 pointing to Jesus? Simple. Jesus is the Davidic king. Jesus is the Davidic king. In the beginning of the psalm that we're reading in verse 23, it says, in chapter 23, it says, a psalm of David. Why is that important? Where in the Old Testament, David was a key figure in the plan of God to restore humanity. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David, the king of Israel, that one of his descendants will sit on a throne and be king over a kingdom that never ends and all other nations would come under his rule. Therefore, when we read the Psalms and hear the prayers of the king of Israel, we must hear them as pointing to the true king, who is Jesus himself. This is the exact way that Jesus interpreted the Psalms. We want an example. Think about when Jesus was on the cross about to die. What did he say? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Is Jesus just pulling texts out of anywhere? No, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 22, which is a Psalm of David. Why does he do that? Because in that psalm, as you read it, it talks about the Lord's servant, the Lord's king, though his enemies oppress him, he ultimately will not be forsaken. And Jesus reads this psalm and he says, this psalm was actually pointing to me. David wrote it because he knew that it would ultimately be fulfilled in the Messiah. Therefore, it becomes pretty clear how our verses in five and six are also pointing to Jesus. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, God the Father provides his son with a feast of blessings, even in the midst of the son's enemies. We see that all throughout the Gospels. Jesus is walking in the blessings of his father. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons, being affirmed by his father at his baptism, drawing many people to himself, all the while the Pharisees taunt him. And Satan tempts him. Even his friends betray him. Why? Because the son had a peace in the midst of chaos. whereas verse five says, he had a feast in the presence of his enemies, because he was blessed by the Father. It continues: "You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows." First, this anointing of the head with oil in this specific context is actually a refreshing or soothing gesture to a house guest. If you ever come over my house and we have dinner together and you say, man, I'm kind of tired. I got a headache. My wife will probably go grab her magical kit called essential oils. And she'll say, what you, you got a headache? Okay, cool. Let me give you some frankincense. Just rub it on your temples. If my wife is in here, I think she's going to be a second service. She's going to say, Jeff, that's not the right essential oil to use. But you guys get the point. <laughs> the guest is pampered and cared for. And not only is the son pampered by the father, but his cup overflows. When the son comes to earth as a man, the father took great care of him. From the beginning of the gospels to the end, it's filled with the father lavishing his love on his son. From the womb of Mary to the prayers in the garden of Gethsemane, even to the cross, the son's cup overflowed with the blessings of his father. This is why Jesus could affirm verse six and say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? because Jesus knew the blessings of God even transcended death on the cross. He knew the promises and the covenant that God made with David in the Old Testament scriptures, and he knew they would be fulfilled. He trusted the blessings and the word of his father. But this is what Peter says in Acts 2. Peter, the same way he interprets the Bible, is the same way as Jesus. Acts 2, verse 29, this is how Peter interprets a prayer of David. Pointing to Jesus. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he was set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. According to the Apostle Peter, David wrote these Psalms knowing that they would ultimately be fulfilled in the Messiah to come. Therefore, the only way we can perceive the blessings of God is if you understand that all blessings flow through the person and work of Jesus. The only way you can truly understand what it means to be blessed is if you understand blessings flow through the Son of God, Jesus himself. And when you rightly understand this, then you can see how the blessings of God are for you. Which brings us to our second point, the blessing is for you. So, if the blessings is about Jesus, then we only receive the blessings of God because we're in him. Or as Paul likes to say it, because we're in Christ. Because Jesus died and resurrected as a substitute for our sin, We can now enjoy the blessings that he gained for us. So what are the blessings? First in this text, we see feasting in the midst of enemies. So if you're in Christ, the same peace that Jesus had, that he experienced in the midst of those who hated him, you also have access to such peace. But I want to challenge you and actually reshape the way you think about your enemies. Your enemies are not people who get on your nerves. It's not that neighbor who never cuts their grass. It's not the person who took a personality test and got a different score than you. If you're into the Enneagram, threes are not your enemies or fours. But on one more serious note, some of us in our own household, the wife or the, or the husband that God has given you, they are not your enemies. Husbands, I don't want to hear you say, man... My wife is just getting on my nerves. She always tell me, do this, do that, pick this up, pick that up. And she make the same thing for dinner every week. I literally feel like I'm at the table with my enemy. That's not what the text means. That's not what it's saying. The Bible says we have a real enemy. And sometimes what Satan does, he likes to take the people that God has placed in your life and then you're misconstrued. You start to think that people that God created in his image, people that you're meant to love is actually the enemy, but it's actually the enemy manipulating you in that moment. The Bible says we have real enemies that seek to destroy us. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour We have spiritual enemies that want to devour you because you're in Christ. Even when people are used as a tool of Satan, it's ultimately not because of you while you're being attacked. It's actually because of who you're in, who is Christ. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And this is one of the blessings of God. Even in the midst of attacks from our enemies, we have a promise from God that we will feast in their presence. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest examples of this. Paul had been beaten, shipwrecked, threatened, afflicted, jailed, poured, and everything in between. But what did the Apostle Paul say? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Beloved, do not make the mistake of focusing on the presence of your enemies and forget you are at the table in the presence of your God. Do not allow the attacks of your enemies to make you forget that the Lord, the God of the universe, has invited you at his table to fellowship with him. But what's another blessing? As the scripture continues, you anoint my hair with oil, my cup overflows. Now, as most of you know or you should know, the Bible does not ascribe to some type of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The gospel is not that if you believe in Jesus, everything is going to go good for you. If the king, our Lord Jesus himself, who was the most blessed man to ever touch the earth, went to a bloody cross, then obviously the blessings of God are not contingent on Christians being pain free. But at the same time, we must remember that if you are in Christ, you have been giving an unmeasurable flow of the grace of God. And that can show itself in so many different ways because God is infinitely wise and he's so gracious to his children. So this week, my wife and I had our 20-week appointment for our baby. We're actually pregnant. And it was a... It's always one of these most exciting times. And if you know anything about the 20 week appointment, that's actually the appointment you find the gender of the baby. So we've had the debates in my household. I'm like, I think we having a boy. My mom's like, no, I'm telling you, I got a feeling it's a girl. And we're debating. We think what it is. Now, because I love y'all and I mess with y'all, I'm gonna show y'all some information not everybody knows. <laughs> we're actually having a baby girl. <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday, mom. She was right. Praise God. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But at the same time, every appointment that my wife and I tend to go to, we always have these mixed type feelings. There's this excitement, but there's also this sense of anxiety. If you've been to those appointments, you know that you have to wait in order to hear the baby's heart. And we're always sitting there juggling, like, man, what if we go in here and our baby's not breathing? What if they don't have a heartbeat? What if we have to hear that news that I'm sorry that you've lost your baby? Is God still good at that moment? Are we still blessed as Christians? I have some brothers and sisters that I love dearly that I've had to walk through seasons like this. And they went into these appointments, and they came out, and they did not hear what we heard about our baby. They heard the opposite. They heard that their baby was no longer living and breathing. And I think particularly about one of my brothers I asked him, like, bro, I'm here with you. How you doing, man? And he said, bro, God is good. Even in the midst of our pain, God is good. (laughs) Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, he takes away. He gives us what we need in that moment. Beloved, this is how we understand the blessings of God. Sometimes our cup overflows with a plethora of blessings, and it's easy to rejoice But in the other times, the blessings of God find us in the most crazy moments where we're stricken with pain. And the blessing of God in that moment is that we have an untouchable joy even in the midst of suffering. This overflow of blessings that we have in Christ, it leads Paul to praising and worshiping God in Ephesians chapter 1. This is the type of blessings that we have in Christ that transcends. Ephesians chapter 1, read it with me. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in our wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. These are the blessings that we have in Jesus. It transcends our pain. It transcends our enemy because God has given us something that only He can give us, and this world cannot take it from us. So I want you to stop and think about this. Do you know that you're blessed? Do you know as a Christian that you are blessed? Or better yet, are you living like someone who's blessed? Do you often take time out just to thank God for the many blessings that he gives you? Like like even waking up in the morning, are you thankful for God for such things? Or do you only talk to God when you need something? Talk to God when you got an emergency, but you don't thank him for all the things he took care of prior to that. Are you able to handle the blessings that God give you rightly? Or will you end up worshiping the gift rather than the giver? Are you giving your time or your finances or your gifts to the kingdom of God like a blessed Christian should? Or do you think the blessings you have are for you and your happiness or your mission? Church, the beauty of the gospel was that God has blessed us beyond our imaginations in Christ. And therefore, like Christ, we should be able to echo the words of David, surely goodness and mercy shall follow or pursue me all the days of my life. Why? Because blessings for Christians are based on the wisdom of a shepherd who knows what we need even more than we know for ourselves. This brings us to our last and final point. Though the blessing is for you, the blessings of God are bigger than you. Point three, the blessings are bigger than you. Now, I intentionally didn't use or or get to the end of verse six and its application to us. The reason I didn't do that is because I think this verse is best understood as being already, but not yet. That means it's only partially fulfilled now and won't be fully fulfilled until the future. Now, I'll explain that more, but first, let's look at the verse again. It says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what is the house of the Lord? Psalm 26, verse 8 answers that clearly. O oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. The house of the Lord is where God's glory rests. It's where God's intimate presence dwells and makes his home. In the scripture, there's this flowing narrative where God's glory dwells in different places. Before the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the glory of God in the Garden of Eden as he walks with mankind. Then fast forward, the next place we hear about God's glory dwelling is in the tabernacle and temple. And then fast forward from there, the next place we hear about the dwelling place of God is in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus steps on the scene, and he says, if you want to see the glory of God, look no further than I, because I and the Father are one. And then Jesus ascends to his throne in heaven and sends the Holy Spirit, and we're told that the church, not a building but a people, is the household of God where his glory rests, 1 Timothy three fifteen. Do you look at the church this way? Do you see the church as the place where the glory of God dwells? Do you see the community of Christians as being the sacred place on earth where his glory rests? The good news of the gospel is that we've been blessed to be a part of something that's bigger than us individually. To dwell in the house of the Lord is to dwell in a family house. I want you to do me a favor real quick, it's going to be a little awkward, but I actually want you to do it. Look to your left and right and look at the people around you. I don't want you looking at their shoulder or their feet, but I want you to lock eyes with the people around you. Seriously, look at the people around you. These are the people that you will spend an eternity with if they've trusted in Jesus. Amen. The people that's in the church across the whole world were not common people. This is your family. You may have come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses. You may have been raised by different, whatever. But these are your family, and you will spend an eternity with one another. Amen. This is the reality. The gospel is bigger than us. But church, I don't want you to overlook another aspect of it being the household of God. Being a Christian isn't just about you finding your home. As true as that is, and as important as that is, if you are truly the household of God, you also must display the hospitality of Jesus. This is also why it's bigger than you. We aren't meant to just be individual Christians who don't care about the world, who just worry about ourselves and stick in our own Christian bubbles. That's not what we were created for. That's not why we were redeemed. It is bigger than us. We are meant to be a city on a hill, a light to a dark world, a picture of hope to the hopeless. This is why as a church, we prioritize outreach both globally and locally, Because it's not just about us. The gospel's meant to be so appealing as the household of God that people are like, man, my life has been meaningless this whole time. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than me. I want my soul redeemed. I want my life changed. And that's what we display for a dying world. And this is why, as a church, we prioritize missions. If you were at church a couple weeks back, I told you that on August 14th, I wanted you to save that date on your calendar. Save that date. August 14th. From 8 to 11 a.m., I asked you to think of some people you can invite. Set this time out on your schedule because we're going to have something for us to engage our neighbors. So what we ended up coming up with is that we're going to have a breakfast on us. So what is breakfast on us? Breakfast on us is going to be out of the local outreach ministry. We're going to pre- provide a space for you to come to invite your neighbors, for us to engage and meet the people that's around us so we can show the hospitality of Jesus so we can share the love of Christ, so we can share the good news of the gospel. Now, when this happens, my, my goal or our goal as a church is not just for us to be cool for the sake of being cool. That's not it. We're legitimately thinking, how can we reach the people around us? How can we start having more testimonies of people saying, man, I just got saved in the last three weeks. I haven't known Jesus from Adam, and now I believe in Jesus and my life has been changed. This is the stories that we want to see happen. Church, the reason we show such hospitality as the household of God is because the gospel is meant to change the world. It's bigger than you. Let me bring this to a close. Psalm 23, verses five and six, reminds us that the blessings we receive, they come from our shepherd. It's about Jesus, but it's for you, and at the same time, beloved, it is bigger than you. Now, if we have anyone in here who you were invited to our church and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we are glad that you're here. Like, praise God that you're here. At the beginning of this sermon, I talked about sometimes Christians see the world or we see the blessings of God as if we don't have our glasses on properly. Yet, if you don't know Jesus, the Bible doesn't say you simply have vision problems. The Bible says you are blinded from seeing the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel is if you believe in this gospel, you trust in Jesus at the same time, those blinders will come off. So even if you've been listening to this message and hearing about the good news of Christ and the blessings we have in Jesus, and you like, I want to be a part of that, beloved, that may be evidence that God has already taken those scales away from your eyes. Don't take that lightly. We would love to talk to you about what it means to believe in Jesus. And if you've repented of your sins and trusted Jesus, you're already a part of the household of God. Beloved, we've only tasted what's to come in the forever. We've only tasted what's to come of the forever. The blessings we see in our day-to-day lives, the salvation we experience in Christ, the fellowship of the church that we share is only a picture of what's to come. As we wrap up, I want to give you a portrait from the scriptures of what the blessing is that await us for all of eternity. If you have it in your Bible, turn over to Revelation chapter 21. And if not, I will read it. We're going to look at Revelation 21 to see a picture of the blessing that awaits us. Verse 1 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things brand new. Mm. Church, this is the fullness of blessings that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, it's so easy for us to overlook just how intimate our relationship with you is, the intricate ways that you're there for us on a day-to-day basis. Even when we are in the wrong, God, you come there to bring us back on the right path. God, the grace that you've given us in Christ, the fact that we deserve the wrath of God for our sin, yet in love you've blessed us with a Savior who took the punishment that we deserve. And he resurrected that we will resurrect with him. God, there's so many blessings that we have in you, and I do not want us to ever to take that lightly. God, let your people understand and believe your word and live this out in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.